I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the latest episode of the Since 71 podcast. Today I'm really pleased to be joined by the team from Bloomsbury. We'll just go through everyone. Um, Marcus, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, very well. I'm excited to be back to football um, and playing matches again and, and, and back training. And Emma, how are you doing today? Yeah, good too. Um, it's good to finally settle into the role at Bloomsbury and looking forward to the coming season. I can see that you're in the, the office actually working while the other two uh, are relaxing at home. Now that's what you call part-timers. <laughs> <laughs> and Maria, how how are you keeping? Relaxing. Funny. Um, thanks, um, Steve. I'm good. Thanks for having us. Um, really happy to finally have launched a Girls Super League. So, yeah. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing about everything that you guys have been doing and um, I'm sharing the brilliant work that uh, I've been following. So just to give everyone a bit of a, an idea of everyone's background, um, if I could go to you, Maria, first, if you could just tell us a little bit about your sort of introduction to football, um, participation in and, and coaching. Yeah, happily. Um, I've played football throughout my life. I started playing in Austria um, as a little girl, playing um, with the boys till I was around 15 because there were simply no girls teams. And then I went to an academy um, and played for all the youth national teams in Austria. And then I got offered a scholarship to play in the US and Division One school called Florida Atlantic, where I played four years. And then I came to the UK to get a professional contract, but unfortunately I got an injury. Um, so I had to hang up my boots. And that's why I got into like women's football and girls football, just to create better opportunities for the girls. Um, and that's when I got to Bloomsbury and realized I do not want to be a coach. I tried it, but I'm just not really good at it. Um, but I have a passion for marketing and like partnership development. So I'm at Bloomsbury and my role is a partnerships lead. So I try to get partners to like improve our program, get partners like a physio on board and our esports. But I'm also managing the Girls Super League London, which we'll probably dive into later on. Amazing. Well, I'm, I'm sure that you probably wildly underestimate your coaching ability. Um, and I'm sure the girls really appreciate being able to speak to someone that's, that's played the game and someone that they can they can relate to. So uh, I'm sure the others would probably agree. Uh, give yourself a little bit more credit there, Maria. And uh, you say you played uh, for Austria youth football. How did, how did that come about? 
Um, yeah, I played um, with the boys till I was 15 and then I had to join a women's adults team. So I was like 15 and everyone else was 20 to 25 and I was this little girl um, and I got scouted from our national team coach. Um, and that's when I also joined an academy like four hours away from home. Um, lived in a dorm and trained with the national team twice a day and traveled all over Europe um, to compete against other national teams. And at the Euros, then Europe qualifies in Wales, I got scouted for the US. Amazing, amazing. And um, Emma, could you tell me a little bit about your background in football and your role within Bloomsbury? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, well, not to the same level as Maria at all, um, but I have also been playing football my whole life. Um, I started in the Philippines, funnily enough. Uh, as an international kid, I kind of grew up around the world. Um, so I started playing with the boys as well in the Philippines. Um, a lot of my friends were on national teams, but because I wasn't Filipino, couldn't play for them. Um, so I played basically from the age of six and then um, moved to Germany when I was 14, played in Germany um, on my school team and in a club team. And yeah, then when I came to uni, I played for my women's uh, uni team, have been president and captain of those teams, but <laughs> not at all the same level as international football. Um, and then got contacted to work for Bloomsbury not long ago. So I'm finishing my degree and starting at Bloomsbury at the same time. So I'll be right now I'm co helping coordinate the girls program uh, and hopefully take over um, managing that program in this summer. Excellent. Well, um, we'll obviously move on to the girls' program shortly. And uh, and Marcus, if you could, uh, same question to you, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been around sport um, all my life. I've worked at tennis clubs, cricket, um, football. And I went off to university in Bristol. Um, I went over to the States um, to provide holiday courses, um, football holiday courses, uh, when I came back, I, I did a placement with a company called Challenger Sports. Um, and then after I graduated, I left to to work in the city in London. Um, didn't like it, lasted about five months. Um, and then I joined Bloomsbury when there was uh, three of us. Um, and now um, there's um, a good 15 of us working at Bloomsbury Football. So uh, it's been an exciting journey. And I think... Um, I do a bit of coaching. I've I've worked in our foundation program, um, our schools program, and then in September or well, August we launched our girls program, um, and that's been predominantly my main focus for the last six seven months. Um, yeah, in terms of playing, I've I've played a bit. I try my best. I'm left footed, so that gives me a bit of an advantage. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm pretty average. Well, um, I, I drop in my own football team in pretty much every episode. Uh, I coach Haven't and Waterlooville under 15 girls. Um, I've been, I'm 37 now and I've been coaching now for about 22 years, uh, predominantly at youth football. And um, everyone always asks me, or parents say, oh, do you play as well? I, I am literally the dictionary definition of the uh, a little phrase that those who can do those who can't teach um if i was any good i certainly would not be uh coaching but um well saying that nowadays I, i'm i'm a half decent footballer until i get tired um 
the older I get, the uh, the less time I could last. I think I played a, a, a five-a-side league about three years ago. 40-minute matches, it absolutely destroyed me. <laughs> I think I, I think the, the following day, yeah, oh, it was, yeah, it hurt, it hurt. But enough about me. Um, Marcus, could you tell us about what Bloomsbury is? Because to some of our listeners, they might they might be looking on their maps to try and find Bloomsbury as a, as a football club, but you're, you're not quite a football club, are you? Could you tell us more? No. So we, so we're a registered charity. Um, we provide financial assistance um, to children in London to access quality football coaching. Um, we have various football programs, which we run. Um, so for example, we currently have five main programs which which we run uh one is our bears program which is from one and a half to to four or to five um and then we have our foundation which is participational football so really all about um keeping children active um those participants may have lots of other hobbies but still enjoy playing football um then we have our academy program which is a bit more intense um and those teams and players will train two to three times a week and play matches um weekly and on weekends which um is is a big part of what we do that's kind of our elite setup um and then we provide holiday courses and more recently our girls program which yeah like i said we started in september and that is going to take within our boys program we have the foundation and academy and hopefully within the girls program we'll have the foundation and the academy foundation for girls who want to participate purely for fun and hopefully a girls academy which girls will train two times a week and play matches on the weekend okay so um what we're saying at the moment is the the girls program is currently a mixed ability Yes, yes. And then I suppose at the moment it's it's open to everyone. And as we start developing it further, it will become, um, half of it will become mixed ability and half of it will become, I wouldn't say selective is the word, but it would be for girls who are of a standard of football who want to be competitive. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that definitely that definitely makes sense because ultimately you are looking to develop them because there there will naturally become a point where players' ability will start to sort of uh, separate, and mm-hmm. you will find that those will want to participate and play for fun, and those will be looking to take to the next level. And the, the beauty that we've got within women's football at the moment is that there is that pyramid that is. Um, growing in the public conscious so some of these girls are at an age where they they can realistically play at that high level um it's not like boys football where if you're not in an academy at the age of 15 you ain't ever playing professional football but for for girls especially you when i read interviews and when i speak to other players through since 71 quite one of the more common answers i ever hear is that no i didn't start playing till i was about 13 14 years old um and the one thing that I've realised through coaching girls is that they are definitely more intelligent than boys. They pick up on everything a lot quicker. For me, the only thing that really 
difference between I've seen working in boys and girls youth football is that the boys seem to eat, sleep, drink, dream football, where the girls, it's, it's very different. It's um, my, my team in particular, they're mainly interested in their own participation. I know when the Women's World Cup was on, they would have been under 14s, I believe. Um, trying to get them to watch it was really difficult. They were more interested in watching Love Island. Um, I kind of pulled my hair out of that a little bit, but it's just they, they weren't as interested in that. But there is a, a, a group of young girls that are that have those role models and they're going to want to reach that level. So I think it's it's only sensible and only natural that there is going to be an elite group that you are going to want to uh, to help progress within the game. Yeah. So w- with with regards to that, um, Emma, could you tell me a little bit about the the impacts that you hope to to make on the girls, and if there's a, a particular emphasis on the sort of like the FA's four corner model? Um, so I don't think I can make particular reference to the FA four corner model. I, I'm personally, I'm not really familiar with it. But um, we, well, you, what you just said with that, like you found it difficult to get your girls to watch the football, um, and we found that to be the case kind of in our holiday course. So two weeks ago, we held uh, an Easter holiday course, and in particular, I was with the six-year-olds, basically to fourteen-year-olds, um, and we found that in the younger age group, particularly, they kind of didn't want to play that much, or they would. And then they wanted to do other things like play tag or, you know, other stuff. So we found it difficult to kind of in like fully immerse them in like the football for a whole week. Um, So we did other things like make quizzes, um, make kind of football related games mixed with what they would usually play in the playground um, and got them kind of more interested in football in that sense. Um, And like, I mean, I found it quite shocking. For example, I did a quiz where, uh, we had Messi, literally Lionel Messi's picture on the board and half of them couldn't tell you who he was. Same with Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, to me, it was shocking because growing up, having played with the boys mostly, that was kind of like something that I knew and it, it was crazy that people wouldn't know who Messi or Ronaldo were, for example. Um, but it's just not the same thing. Um, so there has to be kind of like a, a different approach to girls football, I think. And that's something that we found that we're going to kind of progress for the next holiday courses. But I think maybe Marcus can speak a bit more about the FA4 corner model. Yeah. I think if I can chime into that real quick, because you said that the girls didn't know Messi or Ronaldo. I think that's linked to that. um, They just don't see like girls football or female football a lot on TV. But for instance, when we had that quiz, Marcus, in December, I think it was um, about the WSL. And the only questions they answered were... um, about Manuela Zinsberger, they answered them correct because they saw Manuela, who is the goalkeeper of Arsenal, on one of the Zoom meetings. Um, so she spoke directly to the girls. And maybe it's just because, yeah, they actually knew someone personally or like saw someone from the WSL and then they get that connection to them. So I think hopefully the new broadcast deal with Sky Sports should help to like improve that. I think you definitely cut, you struck up on there, something, Maria. It's maybe a, a young girl that age. They probably couldn't care less about what they probably see. Oh, that old man. And that old man being Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, because to them, it's just some old man. If they see a female footballer, something they can relate to, or if they've had first hand communication with uh, Manuela, as you say, then, then that's fantastic. So you've obviously got, um, 
professional players or, or players that are actively playing um, linked with Bloomsbury. Could you tell me a little bit more about that, Marcus? Is that something that happens regularly? So I suppose like with lockdown, um, we kind of took our, the initiative to try and keep um, all our players engaged across the girls and boys. Um, and we, we knew that everyone's sitting at home behind their computers. So we wrote off to various people that our players might find in, inspiring. So we had Eddie and Ketia do a live Zoom. We had uh, Robbie Lyle from AFC TV. Um, and and we had, the in terms of the girls' side, that's majority of it has come through Maria and her contacts, um, which we're very fortunate to have. So we had um, Manuela on. We had uh, Lois um from charlton um and that was inspiring it was it was we had a really really good turnout i think for manuela we had some of the parents listening and 30 30 girls tune in to to hear um from her and she did a presentation i think that's very very important it's something we're going to do more of and i think showing um women who have grown up playing football um reach those steps is is very important and i know um tournament super league tournament that we were at this weekend we had a a freestyler come down and um a female freestyler and and she was unreal and all these girls were just like wow that's crazy um the skill she's doing and you could see they were like that's cool when they went up and tried to do the skill she was doing and it was it's good and that's what they need they need you know to show that this isn't just turning up and playing. There is, you can go further. And if you don't go further, then you should keep playing anyway, regardless. Definitely. It's, it, all, it all sounds fantastic. I know with my haven't side, I've been very, very lucky through the links that I've made uh, since 71. I've been able to get uh, a number of players come and join in at training sessions um, from clubs like uh, uh, Portsmouth, uh, Chichester and Selsey. And I've even been fortunate enough to have Kirsty Pierce um, join us at a training session, who was the recently retired uh, Reading captain in the WSL. But it's um, it it was it was really odd in a way because for the, for my girls, they just saw that it was just a, a female player. They had no idea of, of Kirsty's background and as captain in the WSL that lived locally, and and she was she was brilliant with the girls. Um, at that at the point that we had the majority of the guests coming in, they would have been at under thirteen level, and at that age group, they they were never naughty, but they were always quite talkative. But what really reassured me is when I had these female coaches coming in, I just got greeted with quiet and wide open mouths and staring, which obviously for me was a little sign they were like wow that's that's cool and it for me it was really important that they saw uh, female role models to the, so they can realize there's a pathway in the game because otherwise the, the three coaches that they have normally are uh, myself and uh, two toms um three bearded fellas in their late 30s early 40s and um it was it was really nice to see them react so positively uh, to these players so you've obviously got the girls together at, at courses as part of the programme, but how and where do they get to play competitive games? Um, 
Well, that's why um, last yeah September um, we found whilst arranging fixtures for the girls, we found that we're quite struggling to find regular competitive games. So we just saw that as a gap in the market. And we also found that the league structures and the marketing around that um, isn't enough for girls to encourage them to play football and participate in sports. So that's why we thought we would launch our own girls league. And that's why the Girls Super League is now um, live. And it's been amazing. We had our first event on Saturday. And as Marcus said, we um, had a female freestyler, the number four in the world, Leah Lewis, coming down. And her performance was insane. The girls got autographs after, took photos with her. And just like seeing someone that's so good at football was like really, uh, like freestyle football was really inspiring. And I think now we see like that there's talent um but also fun like it was so good to see all the girls like playing and they had so much fun you, you could just tell and to have that league structure in place is really important and i think um that's going to contribute to like that halfway hopefully so what other teams are involved in that are these just uh, local clubs that would normally represent any local league yeah at the moment it's literally just any local clubs so we're running 10 tournaments and we'll see um, what is the demand, what are the age groups um, that teams sign up most. And for those age groups, then um, we'll create the league so they, that can enter the league to play um, every alternating Saturday. Oh, okay. So, so presently you're running sort of uh, one-off tournaments with a view to, to building a league and making it official. Are, are there any targets when you want that league to launch or do you think that might take a little bit, a little while? Uh, we're going to launch first week of September. Amazing. Excellent. Okay. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 the real big work is going to, uh, going to, going to start soon. Um, so Marcus, you touched on earlier that you've got a, a team of 15. Who out of the three of you has actually been within Bloomsbury the longest? <laughs> Guilty. That's, yeah, that's, that's me. Uh, unfortunately, no, I'm um, no, it's been, it's been, yeah, crazy. It's, um, to see when we were working out of Costa Coffee in on Camden High Street, um, to where we are now with an office um, with strong people managing different programs, um, the right people in the right places to to um, guide those programs and and to deal with the players. Um, and I, <clears throat> I know Emma's very new, but that's why she's now on board to she's got the experience to that she's previously coordinated sports uh she's played herself and that's why we we want her in to come and grow the, this girls program as as far as it can go and i think judging by the amount of success we've had over the last six months that yeah it's huge as to where it could land up um so yeah in terms of us as an organization there's 15 of us now but to manage if we have eight teams say come september that could be another two three people to manage that um and then it just carries on to where where, where everyone to take it if that's a girls college program if that's looking at a first team or 
all those different options that we will have and and having a body of people gives it the resources that it needs. So that's, I think, what's nice about Bloomsbury Football is we can rely on each other and take different opinions from different people and, and make a, a programme which is um, appropriate to all players. That sounds, that sounds excellent. So you, you, you can obviously harness everyone's uh, different sort of backgrounds and a unique set of skills. Um, Emma, is there a, a basic level of uh, a basic qualification that's required in order to join the team? Uh, yeah, so um, in my job brief, it said that it was the UA for B, I think, um, which was the base qualification. Um, I am, because of COVID, haven't been able to pass my tests because they've all been closed since last, whenever, March. Um, but that definitely is something that I'm working towards anyway. Um, I've been looking for things to do online. So at the moment, the FA does the FA Playmaker, I think, um, which is the only thing you can do online until the proper testing centers open up. Um, but yeah, we're still waiting on that. Uh, I'm first in line <laughs> for the FA uh, qualifications, but yeah, explain for that. Okay, so everyone's obviously, they're, they're, well, we're very well qualified for, for these roles. Um, but what about, is it is it quite strict if there's a particular personality that you think they would be really good for the team? Um, is Bloomsbury open to them to develop yeah, Marcus? I mean, I think it's like all, I suppose I would say all industries, but it's not. It's, um, it's a people's job. You have to be, I suppose, approachable um, and good at maintaining relationships. Um, so when we look at coaches or staff members, yes, it's obviously important what is on their bit of paper, which they hand over. But it has to be their motivation to, to be able to see, I suppose, and forecast what these programmes could look like. Um, I think with Maria and, and Emma, um, you know, Maria's played in the States. She went to Nottingham, um, is now doing a Masters at UCFB. Um, the same with Emma, speaks three or four languages, Um and those languages are crucial, especially in somewhere like London. We have a big, um, a lot of French players, um, a lot of French families who whose daughters play. Um, and I think in London, especially having that kind of diverse um, staff group is, is crucial to uh, our parents who send their children to us um, to like us. Um, they have to think we're the, we're, we're, the, we're the best out there and uh, we are looking for polite, sensible and, and reasonable people. How have you found that interaction with the parents? Um, are they quite supportive of everything? Do they tend, do they, are they able to watch? Um... With COVID, it's been, for, so for the girls' programme, I'd say our boys' programme, we have a process in place uh, in terms of the matches we play and, and the leagues and um, with the girls, we're yet to establish what that looks like. I think with COVID, the parents haven't watched as much as I would have liked them to, because I think with the girls, it gives them a bit more support. I think not many parents or female players would have seen their children playing football before um, and 
I know from this Saturday watching them at the gate uh, behind the fence, um, watching they loved it and it's good entertainment and that's great. I think going forward when we establish a bit further down the line, then we have to put in those processes because it's like a classroom. You can't have the parents in the classroom. Um, you have to draw boundaries. I think it's important to do that. Um, but as uh, so you can obviously, um, so uh, sorry to interrupt there. So you can kind of build their trust. Ultimately, they'll, they'll realize through the professionalism with regards to the website, um, their email, telephone interactions, the dropping off, um, seeing the facilities and the sort of all the, the lovely kit and logos that you guys have done. They can see that the hard work's gone into it. And with the level of qualifications that you guys have got and that it seems to be that you're all quite personable. So you build that trust. And then as a, from a parent's perspective as well, you think they can leave the kids with you and kind of leave you to what your magic, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think that's, it's important for them to take a step back and, and trust us. I think they have to be able to do that. Um, but it is a personal experience for the parents as well. They are dropping the, they are taking these children X, Y, and Z. They are dropping them at tournaments and they they want to be involved with it as well. And I think to a certain point they should. Um, but yeah, we have to have a professional boundary um, between staff and parents. And when that's not reciprocated, it's, it does blur those lines. But we're yet to get to that point where we can think too much about it. I think at the moment they do trust us and as we progress it as quickly as we can, they're seeing us do that. So I think that should allow them to say, oh, they are doing the right things. Um, from yeah. So with regards to development of coaches, is there a pathway into coaching within the women's game at all? Um Obviously, you, you you employ these staff. You want to you want to keep them forever because you, you trust them. But um, when you empower, when you develop, and when you do mentor these coaches, um, you may well end up opening doors at the other potentially higher levels. Definitely, I, I think we want our coaches to go out, like Emma's talking about UEFA Bs and FA Level Twos and Masters degrees, and and if they go off and do something else, and the doors presented to them to to go off and work in professional a professional setting, great. Um, a hundred like they should, you know, essentially take those opportunities. Um, however, I think there are a lot of opportunities here where, as we progress forward, m- more responsibility and more exciting projects where people can make decisions and have an impact is is important um we're not that old like we're i'm 26 um i think when you're a professional when you go into a new role you can probably sometimes not be able to make decisions um and we empower our staff to to want to make decisions um and yeah be supportive of those decisions otherwise we're not going to get anywhere and if an opportunity opens up for our coaches, then yeah, I'd be right behind if you know Maria goes off to Real Madrid or somewhere. 
then great. That's that only looks better on us. So yeah. Well, if you, if you do go off to Real Madrid, then um, if you need an assistant, it's lovely and sunny out there. I'll definitely put my uh, my hat in the ring to to assist you, um, Maria. Much was made of the Lioness's recent squad, which was poorly represented for black and ethnic minorities. Um, I was fortunate enough to speak to Emma Hayes at one of her press conferences, and she described that there's more needs to be done within inner cities to develop the talent and open up the game to all the girls in the United Kingdom. Obviously, you guys are based uh, within London. Is that a responsibility that you guys feel personally? Yes, uh, from my point of view, 100%. And I know all the other coaches and, and Charlie, our CEO as well. Um, our mission is to make football available for all, like regardless of their backgrounds, regardless of their financial backgrounds. So yes, definitely. I also had a chat with Ikra Ishmael. Um, she created this club for um, like ethnic minorities um, called... What is it called? Hilltop FC. She said as well, like, it's definitely, like, improving, but it's very stagnant and there should be more improvement. There should be um, more done to combat those problems. Um, But you have to start somewhere. And I think um, the future is definitely looking a bit brighter now. Yeah, definitely. And I think it sounds like some Bloomsbury will be perfect in that scenario because... As you say, at the moment, you're bringing in uh, mixed ability to promote participation, uh, teamwork and everything around that. But with the development, bringing in um, an elite program, then that way you can kind of look to help be a pathway. Because that, while the the RTC structure in girls football is, is very good, it's also very limited uh, <clears throat> in the number of uh RTC licenses that are handed out across the UK and in order to participate in those quite often it will involve a lot of traveling which might potentially be difficult for someone within these cities so it it sounds fantastic. We've obviously touched on um, lockdown and and the challenges of it. Emma could you tell me a little bit about how Bloomsbury has tackled those challenges uh, with lockdown? Actually, I don't think I'm well suited to answer this question. I wasn't in Bloomsbury during lockdown, but maybe Marcus can. Oh, go on, then. We will. Uh, you controlled that beautifully, and you'll pass it over to Marcus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I suppose going back to the first lockdown um, over a year ago, now we knew we had to do something special to keep people interested, and so the first one we created this is when we didn't have a girls program we created these videos for children to do at home we would post them out each day uh and to the extent where i would say other content we put out was advanced i would like to say like it was it was it was class like the videos we did we did them with the professional freestyler and children could do them at home and they would send them in and we had got them doing quizzes and life skills and it was brilliant. So when the third lockdown came around, we were set, ready to go. And um, from when Boris announced it, we had our studio in our office set up within like 12 hours and and we would go in evenings and, and do live sessions and uh, the presentations from, from Maria's uh, contacts. Um, but we said to ourselves, we need a set of activities which 
will engage the girls, our, our female players. And some of them, you know, every, I think we had two hours on a Monday of girls. So two hours of live sessions and a lot of them were on there and we had presentations and we tried our best to, to keep them going. But I think now that lockdown and us doing all those activities and offering all those activities to the parents has, I suppose, created a bit of goodwill from the parents. And I think there's now the parents have kind of spoken to their friends and, and said, oh, they, they kept us detained during lockdown. You should come down and go to their holiday course or come down to a session. So that kind of pent up demand has, has helped us come out of it very, very strong. Awesome. I, my little one's only one year old. So uh, for us, lockdown was a very different experience for anyone that's got a slightly older child. But from the feedback I've had from friends of ours, um, yeah, looking after the kids mm. became challenging ultimately because I think parents probably underestimate the work that teachers do within schools and how varied the, the children's days are. Um, so any small help that you guys are able to do with that, and especially one that might sort of tire them out, will keep them entertained for hours if they're trying to learn um, tricks and skills. Um, I think it's it's really commendable. I think it's uh, it's yeah it's fantastic. But it's been a, a few weeks since grassroots football has returned, and you've, you've touched on the fact that you've actually been able to get on a football pitch with the girls now, which which must be. Uh, must be fantastic emma this am, am i right in saying that the recent easter uh, holiday course that you ran is the, is the is the actual first one that you've been able to run yeah first thing oh my first week at bloomsbury was the holiday course which was exciting challenging and quite successful in the end i think cool how, how did you find it uh, like just from having all the girls uh, the splitting of the age groups managing uh, covid guidelines yeah, so we were based in a school called Ackland Burley, which is where we run our normal Thursday sessions anyway. Um, we had, I think on the first day, we had something like 60 girls, 63 girls, uh, which was biggest turnout that we've ever had for the girls um, and a lot more than expected. Um, and then we originally had about 40 signed on for the next day, but then 60 of them reappeared the next day. So, I mean, that's, I think, just a testament of like how well it went. Um, that people were signing up their kids for the next day and then the next day and then the next day. And a lot of those girls have also signed on to our normal sessions. So that was pretty exciting. Um, it was good. Um, it was, as I said earlier, it was kind of a mix of how much football do these girls actually want to play? They're interested and definitely are because I had like six-year-olds come up to me being like, oh, I love football. And then, but they would want to play for like two hours and then they just sit down and play something else. Um but yeah, so it's kind of try like the challenge will be to try and balance what we do for the next holiday course, which is going to be in May. Um, but yeah, again, loads of those girls have signed on again. Um, and as Marcus said, like being able to speak a couple of languages kind of made me be able to speak to the younger girls, maybe who didn't speak English completely fluently, or they'll drop words, for example, in French that I'll catch up on. And then they'll be like, oh, why does she understand me? And then they go tell their parents and then their friends and then they all come so we've got loads of french girls coming now which is uh, w w word of mouth in um in youth football is absolutely priceless it's yeah potentially um one of the best marketing tools you'll ever have i don't I think i've ever gone to approach to sign another player 
but I've always kind of prided myself that win, lose or draw, that the training sessions are fun and enjoyable. And therefore, I've, I've always had players approach me and th- through word of mouth at school. And it's, it's really nice. It's kind of, it's, it's really rewarding. And it's really, you feel quite sort of pleased with yourself when and that scenario happens. And I'm really excited for you guys, to be honest, because I think that the way that you, you all speak, um, I've not been able to come and, and see what you guys have been doing, but I, I hope to when um, over the next 12 months when possible. Um, it, it just, it sounds fantastic. Um, you've obviously touched on the fact that with the girls program, program it is still in its infancy and you're kind of learning as you go. Um, as I said, I've had, uh, I think it was about 18 years coaching with boys football and um, about sort of like, uh, four or five coaching with uh, adult women's. But I would say within the last three years where I've worked with uh, girls youth football, I've probably learned more about myself with regards to session planning, um, health and safety, um, working, uh, dealing with the sort of the emotional side of, of football players than I have done in all of my, my previous coaching. It, there's been some some real challenges um, where I picked up a team uh, under 13s. The amount of maturing that girls do between 13 and 15 is is absolutely massive i think the first year i had the girls they 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 were girls they were little girls they were in neverland and um as soon as we hit we only had like a three-week break over that summer but when they came back after those three weeks they were sort of pushing young adulthood or, or that that point where they they they, they came back and they were sassy basically <laughs> that they really made sure that i had to be on the ball with everything they would they would start to ask questions uh questions of me they had that level of expectation they would pick up on anything that i might i, I might have told them once not to close a player down and then a week later or maybe even a couple of months later I've gone and said, no, 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 just hold back, let them come to you. And then I'll say, but hang on a minute, you told me that I had to do that that time, that that time. And it's really good. I, I, I joked earlier that girls are more intelligent than boys, but I genuinely think they are because they picked up on that straight away. And they were like, no, no, you've told me these two things. Why? Well, there were different scenarios. Why? They really wanted to learn and pick up on on those stuff. And um, it's it's really been an eye opener. Um, do, do you, have you, how have you got found that working within this or the diverse age range that you've got, Emma? Um, I think with the youngest, youngest, I found that that was the why is comes up a lot more. I think the older girls, because they've worked with Marcus for a while, they kind of have understood a little bit more and they, they don't ask too many questions. But um, I was coaching the uh, under 10, under 11s, I think, at the Girls Super League last weekend with Marcus and it was really like when I was telling one of the girls on the sidelines what to do or like oh when you're in this position try and maybe go a bit wider be a passing option straight away you put them back in and they've they, they've done it um which was very impressive because uh last week for example I was at the boys camp uh the same age group so under 11s and I would tell them the same thing and then four days later maybe they'd make an attempt at trying to fix whatever I told them um, but even then that one probably didn't work. But then with the girls, for example, it was like, I say something, didn't even really see her listen and then goes on the pitch and does exactly what I've said and like has learned it and kept that skill going. 
um, which has been really interesting, actually. As you say, girls are more intelligent than boys, huh? But um, yeah, it's 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 really been an nightmare for me, and and to find out some specific issues which I don't think are really considered by other coaches. Um, for example, I've um, within my kit bag, we've got sort of first aid kit, we've got cones, we've got all your all your typical stuff that you'd have, imagine having, but I've also um, got feminine hygiene products because these girls are at an age where they need these things. As I said, we've got three male coaches involved and, and they're not going to want, they don't like talking to their parents about it necessarily. They don't want to talk to me about it, but they, and they are aware that if they do need anything at all, it's there and available for them. They don't have to ask. And I have actually found that people are going into my bag um, and and using them. And as players yourself, Emma and Maria, I like to think that at your age, you would have, when you were that age, you would have maybe appreciated access to the, those sorts of uh, things. Absolutely, I can tell you there were some nightmares with white shorts, and um, which no one hear about, but like. Why would someone do white shorts? I just don't understand it. But um, it looks class with Real Madrid, but um, for females in that age, it's a bit unfortunate. Um, but yeah, for instance, in the US, we had it in our kit bag as well. And it was just normal to have um, like tampons um, in the kit bag. The physio would give it to us. It was just really normal. But I think it's about like educating your coaches, educating your staff that this is important for the girls, but also maybe Emma or Marcus, maybe we need to implement some like workshops um, like about like hygienic products. Yeah, that's that's definitely one of the things that I'll be working on uh, in the near future is kind of having those life skills kind of lessons. Um, I mean, it's definitely something I wish we had or what I had when I was playing younger. Um, and as you said, lots of nightmare stories. It's just it's not very, not very nice. But I and I think that's one of the reasons why Marcus brought me on is because having a woman, a female coach, is definitely a different perspective. And like, there's a whole different kind of understanding. And it's easier said than done. Co like teaching coaches how to deal with those situations because unless you've lived it yourself, it's a little bit difficult to be sensitive and to you know kind of know how to deal with the problem and like that like quick. Um, but yeah, no, so we'll also be running starting tomorrow. I think it is, um, I'm starting a good for girls program. So we got some sponsoring in, uh, from the good for girls team and we'll be basically running these like, um, discussion circles where we talk about mental health, um, and just kind of like outside of, so the ways in which you can make your players better off, off the pitch, if that makes any sense. Um, so I'll also kind of be integrating some of that stuff through the same girls good for girls program it sounds fantastic there's just so many things that are taken for granted um, things such as female kit as well we've managed to get a um, a training kit for for our girls um which to be honest we tend to use more as a home shirt for at least 50 percent of the time because the, the the club wouldn't let us use it any anymore sadly but that in itself was disappointing we got handed down this three year three to four year old boys kit the various different sizes some of the girls had shirts that swamped them some of them it was almost a bit too tight and it is if you're a female player or just any player and you're just being given cast offs 
what does that say about your self-worth? So the fact that we can get a kit is, is designed for them, is built for them. The, the feedback I have from a lot of the adult um, women's players is that the men's shorts are not – straight leg is not built for a female figure. Um, and they're just – some of these things are starting to become in the conscious a little bit more, and I think it, it, it's great. Our kit supplier, um, they had three female sh- female shirts – Fortunately for us, we play in Navy and they had a Navy one. But if you were to look at the boys fit, hundreds of different colours, hundreds of different styles. And I think the whole of the football world really needs to pick up on these things, not at the WSL level, but all the way down to the level that levels that we're coaching at. Is that something that you'd agree, Maria? I mean, with regards to female kids, it's very important that the girls feel comfortable in, in what they're playing in because they want to express themselves on the pitch. And if they are in a male or in a boy's shirt, how are they going to express themselves? Um, so when I played in the US, there was a big difference as well because we got so much kids and it was all tailored for, for girls and for female football. Um, and that just that makes you feel so much better as a player and just empowers you. And I think we just need to rethink that as well. Like, I think every grassroots club, I think what, I, what I'm seeing now at the Girls Super League London, the, the kit, it's all boys, um, most of it. And I think we probably need to rethink it with um, Bloomsbury football as well, which we're probably doing already with our kit. It's just... Because our coaches, they were all, they're all boys, they're all male. I, I honestly think they didn't think about it. Um, so when we did with Bloomsbury, I'm a charity, um, like American, 100K around all stadiums in London. They actually ordered a female shirt for me, which was very nice. And it's just they didn't have to think about it beforehand. And now that someone has addressed it um, as a board thinking charity i'm sure we'll implement that as well yeah definitely like if you if people want girls to be involved in football they've got to be made to feel welcome and it's it's some quite often some of these little things that i think definitely make a a big difference and you've touched on it yourself if you get a whole set of kit tailored for you as a woman then or a woman or a girl then you think actually there's this game likes me this game is for me it's not just something to do outside of school um, while my parents are at work, so it's it, it's brilliant, and I think I'm I'm really keen, and I think those those little things within the game and how that the big impact they can have, and that's even just things for having a training jacket, having a bag to put your kit in. Um, I've I our goalkeeper, we've got our own pair of um, top of the range goalkeeping gloves, and she uses them for matches because when you've got them, you, it just gives you that extra level of confidence. It, it might sound really sad, but. I had a pair of football boots that I used as a coach. I don't really play very much. I try not to get too involved in the matches to let the girls play and express themselves. But I bought a new pair of boots. I felt brilliant. I swear I was doing it more keep-ups than I'd ever done. And I swear it just made me a better football player. And as an adult that should know better, if I feel like that, how can you expect a, a child, a teenager, an adult not to feel the same? So it's... Yeah, I think it's really important that you can get the the kit, which probably leads unintentionally leads us on to um, another project that you run uh, at Bloomsbury, uh, Reboot. Um, who, Marcus, uh, would you be best placed to tell us about this project? Yeah. Yeah, I can uh, give you a bit 
bit more information on it. It's um no, the kit is just touching on on the kit again. It's it is important, and that is part of what reboot does. Um, but in terms of longer term, when we have X, Y, and Z teams training and playing, we will, I suppose, have the expectation that girls should turn up in in the right training kit, so they all look look the same, and and that will make us feel as good as any of the other professional teams. They turn up in the same uniform, they train, they have a training top, match top, brain jacket, um, and that brings the standard of, of player up, and I think that's really important. Um, and, yeah, going on to the reboot, I think we, I suppose, observed how many boots a child goes through in, like, five years because of growth or however long or like new trends, new football boots, and they will throw their other boots away or give them away to a charity, which if it's a high street charity, they might not get used again. So it's just a really upcycling um, scheme, I suppose, where our players will hand in their old boots. So in our office, we have shelves of pretty much brand new football boots, which children have in months sometimes, isn't it? Um, yeah, it is. So I know that one uh, one mother literally dropped like eight pairs down to me the other day from her three sons, uh, and they're they're all brand new. They're they're decent football boots. So it's it's then giving them away to. We do a lot with children who um, are we provide financial assistance to, so we give them to those children. Uh, so here, there you go. There's a pair of boots for you to play in. Um, and some of them are, are very, very nice. Or we'll line them up and people can take take the ones they want or exchange them for different sizes. Uh, we are looking to like expand it into schools where um, parents can just drop in boots to like a bin and then we'll come around and collect them and dish them out. Um, it's a project yet to really be like, enhanced. We... we suppose we are caught up on our core programs but there is a i suppose a huge that could be implemented i I guess the difficult thing from from your perspective you've all been you've done some great work during lockdown and covid but also you you're kind of your your core role has been paused to be honest to this probably a a ton of projects so um, yeah i guess you're trying to everything's getting up and running and um, getting re- getting ready to uh, really establish itself um, over the sort of coming months, and as you say, when the, when the leagues and everything start back in September, that's when um, yeah, you guys are going to be wishing. Oh, blimey! Last year was amazing. I got to have a little bit of time to myself. Um, I said I only coached the one team, the one age group of fifteen players, and I know how much time goes involved in the planning and organisation for that. Yeah. So. For what you guys do, 15 coaches for the, the hundreds of kids that you have, um, I can certainly appreciate how 15 coaches is probably seems like you feel like you need another 15 just to uh, complete all of your to-do lists. And um, what one of the projects that I started within our local league in Hampshire was to launch a, a rep team. Um, we'd gone through the process of... Um, trials um and that was that was great fun that was educational we uh for our age group i think we had approximately about 
nearly two, uh, about 150 girls that um, applied. So we ended up, most of the other age groups only had one set of trials and their team was done. We ended up having to have three sets just to, to get through them all. We sat down to select that squad um, the night before uh, lockdown was announced the very first time. So that project has been put on pause in the back burner. So um, hopefully come September, we can look to restart that. And uh, once that's done, then there will definitely be an invite to get you guys down to Hampshire or to meet in the middle or come see you guys to see if we can get a game with uh, with your girls as well. Um, I think it'll be, uh, be a really good. It's supposed to be lovely to meet you guys in person. Um, uh, failing that, um, be great to come up and see what you guys are up to to be honest that sadly it's probably a bit too far for me to try and give up my job and apply to join you guys but i think it's i think what you guys are doing is um is is fantastic um and the patience you guys have you've shown over lockdown is is commendable and um, i'm really excited to catching up with you guys later on in the year and uh, maybe towards this this time next year and just to kind of see how things are really developing how things are progressing um you guys all really seem to be forward thinking so uh keep doing what you're doing i think you're doing a fantastic job for girls within london and um if anyone wants likes what they hear and they want to get involved um emma could you tell me or tell you what maria you're into the marketing side of things so this is probably a better place for yourself but if, if anyone's interested uh how can they get in contact with you guys um it's uh info at excellent well we will obviously have an article that will accompany with this and in with the show notes we'll be sure to uh signpost everyone to uh, to bloomsbury but um again thank you to the the three of you for giving up uh your afternoons to talk to me and um i look forward to sharing the great work that you guys are up to and uh, and following uh, everything you do going forward yeah, thank you so much um, with your network and, and your website. It's, it's absolutely um, class. It's it's all good work, which is, you know, pushing forward girls' football. So oh, thanks for having us on. Thank you so much. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Ben. Cool. And uh, best of luck in your, on your next set of holiday courses. Thanks. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> right. Bye.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.